everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. I'm really encouraging you now. You're like, you thought you were winning some God points by being here in the room this morning. Well, you're really going to get some God points because this is going to be a, a tough topic. So I'm going to talk about your money. You're like, oh my goodness, I'm glad I showed up this morning. And if you're watching online, we've, we're losing all the online viewers right now. The numbers are, are immediately dropping as, as I speak. So, uh, so we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about that. And uh, so as sort of a segue into that, um, when it comes to our money, there's a, sort of a biblical paradox when it comes to our, our money. Um, in, back in 1932... Uh, is when they began to build uh, the Golden Gate Bridge. And back in 1932, while they're building the Golden Gate Bridge, was also during the Depression. And so, as you can imagine, people were looking for jobs. They were looking for work. And so, uh, they, they began this construction of this, of this massive bridge that they were going to, you know, build. And, and so, they were hiring people, and everybody, anybody was looking for a job at that time. And so, um, you, you can imagine that as people are looking for jobs, it didn't matter if they were, you know, skilled at bridge building. They were just wanting a job. Well, um, so, they hired a bunch of people, and some people knew what they were doing when it came you know, came to building bridges, and other people didn't. They didn't know what they were doing, but they were just hiring whoever, and people were just wanting wanting work. And so, um, it was very, very dangerous job. You, as you can imagine, so it was a very dangerous job. And so, um, so they're building the, going along, building the bridge, and and people are dying. They're falling into the water, cold water, and they're dying because they, there's just a lot of people that are, you know, for all intents and purposes, just lay people that, you know, are just trying to figure out this job as they go, and they're just happy to get a job. Well, some people went to the, the owner of, of the, the man who was, you know, building the, constructing the bridge, and they said to him, listen, we need to do something. We need to do something. They're, men, women, they're dying on this job, and, you know, we, we've got to fix this. And so um, we, you know, they asked, you know, they kind of put their heads together and said, we need to put together a safety net, a safety net. Well, the, 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 the owner, the man that was constructing the, the bridge, he, he said, you know, I, man, that's going to cost us a lot of money, somewhere around $300,000. Now, imagine that. That's a lot of money today, but back in 1932, that's a lot of money, $300,000 for the safety net that they wanted to put in place. But he came to the conclusion that they had to do it. They had to put in this into the safety net. But he was then going, wait a second, man, man we're going to go way over budget, you know, I, I'm already got a bunch of amateurs trying to build this bridge, and now we're going to go way over budget. Well, here's what they discovered. It's sort of this interesting Golden Gate Bridge paradox. Here's what they discovered. Even though he spent $300,000 on the safety net that they put into place, they actually finished the bridge before the time frame that they thought that they would finish it, and they finished it under budget. They finished it under budget. You say, how did that happen? Even though they, they spent an additional $300,000 that they weren't expecting to spend, how did that work? Well, that worked because the men and women that were working that bridge now knew that it, even if they slipped, they were going to not fall into the treacherous waters, cold waters, that they were now going to fall into this safety net. 
And so as a result of that, they worked faster, they worked harder, and they finished the job long before they even expected it and under the budget that they thought they were going to spend on it, even on top of the $300,000 for the safety net. This was the paradox. Now, when it comes to you, when it comes to me, here's sort of this safety net that God gives us when it comes to our money. But it's a paradox. There's, but you say, man, it doesn't sound like a safety net. It sounds like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm asked to give in addition to what I already have to spend, you know, in, in my life and with my family and, and you know, to, to survive and to make it through, you know, the, these days. And so, man, but it's, but really God says, listen, I want to give you this as a, even though it's a paradox, I want to give you this as a, as a principle to know that this is a safety net for you. And it may not sound that way. Maybe you've heard people like me, preachers like me, kind of stand it and tell you, you know, that you, you, know, you need to give more and you need to, you know, do what. Listen, listen, this is what God has given us as a safety net, as a safety net for our future, for our future. So here's a couple principles when it comes to my money and your money, okay? First principle is my money isn't only mine. My money isn't only mine. And so here's when we think about your money and I think about my money. It isn't only mine. And um, Andy Stanley, I like listening to Andy Stanley, and here's what he said about greed. This is sort of his definition of greed. It's my assumption it's for, that it's for my consumption. It's my assumption that it's for my consumption. So when we think about our money, we think automatically we assume that it's for my consumption or my family's consumption or the people, you know, in, in my life that, that I know and see and love and, you know, it, that is for our consumption. That's the assumption when it comes to, and that's a definition, a, a definition of, of greed. It, it's, it's we think that my money is just only for me. But when it comes to the scriptures, when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to the principles that God teaches us about our money and what you have, and, and, it, and this applies even to your time too, not, not just to your money, but even applies to your time. You see, God doesn't, God doesn't want your money. He wants something for you when it relates to your money. And, and, and again, listen, I'm not here. This is not for me because I want more of your money, okay? Let's just get this out of the way, all right? All right. Okay, I, I talk about money. I don't even remember the last time I talked about money, <laughs> to be honest with you. So it's not about I want your money, that's, and that's an assumption, and that's a you know, you know, misperception that I think a lot of people have and, you know, when it comes to what I do. But the fact of the matter is God doesn't really need your money either. He just wants to do something for you. He, he wants to do something for you. Everything in the scriptures that God gives us is, is always in relation to what, how God gets glory, but also what God wants to do in your life, what God wants to do in your life, that God wants to do something amazing in your life, that God wants you to put up, even though oftentimes, you know, the teachings of Jesus and the principles of the scripture, these are, these are oftentimes paradoxes, but, but this is a, a new way of thinking. This is kingdom mindset thinking that, that the scriptures want, to, want us to understand. And they're safety nets for us. And so God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. By the way, it's his. It's his. Anyways, he wants something for you when it relates to your money. And so the Apostle Paul, who wrote a majority of our New Testament, who, who was, wasn't a Christian, but then 
became a Christian, hated Christians as a matter of fact, who then became a Christian. And he, he was writing to these, these churches, but he was also writing to young pastors you know, that were trying to figure out this thing, this ministry and, 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 and preaching, you know, the resurrection of Jesus. And, and so the Apostle Paul was encouraging one of his young guys by the name of Timothy. And here's what he told Timothy in, in, in his first letter that he, that he wrote to Timothy. Here's what, he's, here, here's what he told him. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. And so here's Paul says, here, listen, here's what I want you to do. Timothy, I want you to tell your people, the people that God has entrusted you with. He says, I want you to instruct them who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. In other words, Paul or, or Timothy, you need to tell those people that whatever they have is only because God has allowed them to have it. Whatever you have is only because God has allowed you to have it. And you're like, well, no, I, no, I, you know, I have what I have. I'm, I'm successful. I have a, you know, I have a, a bank account. You know, I have a savings account. I have a 401k. I have, you know, listen, I have, you know, investments. I got investments here. I got investments here. I'm even, like, I've got crypto. You know, I've, I'm, I'm in it, man. Like, I've got all of my different things that I've got going on. And it's because of me. It's because of my smarts and my good investments and my intellect and my know-how and my management. Of, of money and all these things. And, and, and Paul's saying to Timothy, you need to tell the, those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. Because the reality is, the truth of the matter is, is that whatever you have is only because God and his kindness and his grace and his mercy has allowed you to have it. And if you think it's about you, well, we've got a wrong, false assumption of what our stuff is and where our stuff has come from and where our money has come from. And, and here's, the, here's the other news for, for, for you, for all of us. You're rich. You're rich. Like, you, you and I, we live in America. <laughs> like, if you don't think you're rich... You should get on a plane and travel around the world and see how rich you actually are. Like if, if you have like a car or two, two cars, you're loaded. You're rich. Like, like if you can afford, you know, health insurance, you're rich. If you can put braces on your kid's teeth, you're rich, right? And then another kid and another kid. That's where I'm at in my life, right? Like if, if, like if you can do those things, if you can take a trip, you're rich. If you can go to the grocery store, you're rich. Like, like I'm, I'm rich. I'll just be the first to admit it. I'm rich, okay? Last night, last night, just, just as an example, last night, I ordered food from DoorDash and Grubhub. Like I, that's how rich I am. Like, like I, I had people show up to my door, you know, and, um, and, and we had to make sure that we get our food as quickly as possible because my neighbor Carol will come over and take my food if we're not ready for it. And so we, we always have to be ready at the door for when they show. Listen, the reality is, is the reality is, and, and, and I know you right now, you're like, I just got through Christmas. I don't feel all that rich. But if you are able to buy presents 
for your kids and your grandkids. You're rich. You're rich. We are, according to statistically, we are like in the 1% when it comes to the world. We, we are one percenters. And the hard thing too is he like, I don't really feel rich. And, and the reality is, is that always the, the line of rich always changes, doesn't it? Like always, it always changes. I remember like coming out of college and like getting a full-time job and I was like getting a check and I was probably making, I don't know, I don't even know, maybe it was, it was about 30,000 a year. I thought I was rich. Like remember when you were thinking, when you got out of college and you got your, like your first paycheck and you're like, I'm loaded. And then you start, and then you get married and you, you're buying a house and then you start having kids. You're like, I'm not rich anymore, right? You remember that? And you're like, I need a raise. And then you go like, you know, as a matter of fact, there was a Gallup poll that was taken. And the Gallup poll said for people that started at $30,000 and they asked people, they said, how, how, what would it take in order for you to feel rich? People that were making $30,000, they said, if I was making $50,000, I would feel like I was rich. And then they asked people that were making $50,000, how, what would it take in order for you to feel like you were comfortable or rich? And they said, man, if I was making $75,000 a year, I would feel like I was rich. And then they asked people that were making $75,000 a year, what would it, make, what would it take for you to feel like you were rich? And they said, if, we were, if I was making $125,000 a year, I would feel rich. And then they, it went on and on and on. And they even asked people that were making $200,000 a year. Who's making $200,000 a year in the room? Don't, don't put your hand. Don't, don't put your hand. Don't, don't, put it, don't put it in the comments either. Don't put it in the comments. They asked people $200,000. What would it take in order for you to feel rich? And, and, and they said, the majority said, if I had $5 million, I would be and feel like I was rich. Here's the principle of that. Where's the line? Where's the line? For all of us, for all of us in humans, it never seems like it's enough. Where's the line? And so God says, listen, listen, I want you to be rich when it comes to the things that matter most. I want you to be rich when it comes to the things that matter most. And the first thing that he, Paul tells Timothy is, is this. You got to entrust it. You got to entrust it. Hey, when, you, when, you, when it comes to those who are rich in this present world, which we came to the conclusion, we're all rich. We're all rich. And whenever you come across, you know, some money, it's to say, hey, God, God I'm going to just entrust it with you. I'm not going to put my hope on the uncertainties of these riches, which, by the way, can, have we not learned a lesson over the last two years that control is an illusion? That we, if we think that we have control over things like, you know, stocks and currency, crypto, whatever the case is, investments, you know, our bank account. Oh, listen, it's, it's an illusion. It's an illusion the world we live in and so Paul told Timothy hey tell your people that are rich to entrust it but to put their hope on God not on the uncertainties of riches not on your wealth he says but on God who he goes on to say in verse 17 instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or set their hope on the uncertainties of riches, but on God, 
who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And so entrust it, entrust it, but also enjoy it, enjoy it. Entrust it, but you can enjoy it. Like, go get your Starbucks, have at it. Go do some target shopping, have a good time. Go on a trip. That's great. God wants you to enjoy it. But understand the first thing that we need to do with it is entrust it. And when we entrust it, then you know what will happen for us? Then we'll really be able to enjoy it. You're like, that just doesn't make sense. Like I need to like have it for me and I need to be able to control it. And I need to like put it into, put it away and save it away and all that. Listen, God's going, no, no, that's, that's how it works in my world, in my economy is that you entrust it, then you can enjoy it. Then you can enjoy it. That God will, God will supply what you need. He doesn't want you to like live in a, in a place where you, know, where you just don't know where to spend and how to spend and what to do. Like, God says, no, I want you to enjoy it. I want you to enjoy it. And he goes on to say this in verse 18. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. He's like, you entrust it. I want you to enjoy it, but I also want you to employ it. I want you to employ, I want you to take your opportunities that you have. And if you want to be truly rich in this present world and to, and to understand like how good it is that, that you know that God's the one that supplies your need and takes care of you and, and he's gonna meet the needs that you have and he's, he's, not, he's, not, gonna, he's not gonna leave you hanging and he's, he's, gonna, he's gonna do things in your life that you couldn't even imagine. It's gonna be, God wants to do that for it. God wants to richly supply you. But it starts with entrusting it. It's not really mine anyways. It's God's. He wants you to enjoy it, but he wants you to employ it. He wants you to say, I want, he wants you to, I want you to be rich in good works. I want you to be rich when it comes to sharing and meeting needs and loving people and caring about people when it comes to your generosity. Because you know what will happen? Here's what will happen when we do that. When we start to employ it, when we start to think, wait, this is my assumption is that it's for my consumption, but instead we say, you know what? My resources, my, my stuff, my money, my time is meant to be leveraged to do good and to be rich when it comes to good works. And that's when you'll go, man, you'll really enjoy what you have. It's a paradox. It's a paradox. It starts with entrusting it. You'll enjoy it, but you got to employ it. And then he says, tells Timothy, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You know what happened? You'll begin to employ it You'll begin to meet needs. You'll do, be rich in good works. You'll share. And then what will happen is, is that you'll begin storing up for themselves treasures of a good foundation for the future. In other words, you'll be making investments in people physically here, but you'll also be making investments and in storing up your treasures in heaven, which 
he says, is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. He says, listen, true, true life is, is not about saying my assumption is, is that it's for my consumption. Truly having life is not saying it's all mine and I earned it and I deserve it and I you know, worked hard for it. That's not true life. True life is saying I want to leverage what I have for the sake of others. I want to be rich in what matters most. I want to be rich. And then what will happen is you'll enhance it. You'll enhance it. That's what it, how it works. You'll enhance it. Jesus said it this way. Here's what Jesus said. Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So Jesus is saying, listen, let me give you a perspective here. So again, Jesus came from eternity, right? Right? Jesus has a perspective. He is an eternal perspective. That was, that's Jesus's framework. Ours, we come from our perspective as a temporary perspective. Our framework is the here and the now. That's why we feel the need to, you know, take care of our, 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 our resources and our time and our money. We feel, we feel that desire, that need to do that. Why? Because we're, we're confined to a framework that is limited, that, is, that feels temporary. But Jesus is coming from a different point of view. And Jesus's point of view is, is, is this. Is I want you to think about eternity. I want to think about that what you have your possessions, your time, your money. I want you to think about it in an eternal perspective. And so Jesus comes along and, and teaches this concept to us. He says, listen, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Come on, you lived in this earth long enough to know that our stuff just decays, right? Our stuff just decays. It just, over time, it just loses its, you know, or, you know, depreciates over time. Maybe, you know, you know, your stuff just rusts over time. Your clothes wear out over time. And we always, we live in a world that we have to constantly replenish, replenish. And Jesus is going, why would we, why would we put our investment in something that depreciates? Why would we put our investment in, 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 in this world where, and he uses where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and, and steal, you know, he sort of uses sort of a, something that was maybe more relevant and you know, prevalent to that time, a, a, a day and age. But we understand the concept, right? Like we just, why would you store up for yourself treasures on earth where over time, they lose their value. Over time, they depreciate. Over time, they rust. Over time, they get destroyed. Or over time, somebody may come along and take it from you. But he says this, but, verse 20, but store it for yourselves treasures in heaven. Store it for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. He says, Jesus going, I'm, I'm coming from an eternal perspective. I'm coming from a different place than what you're seeing. I'm coming from a different framework. And Jesus is wanting us to have, when it comes to our money, when it comes to our time, when it comes to our stuff, Jesus wants us to have an eternal 
perspective, and that is to store up for yourself treasures in heaven. That when you are rich in good works, and you're rich in do good and sharing, that what you're doing is you're making an investment for your future. And he isn't talking about your retirement. He's talking about your future in eternity. And he's going, listen, listen, don't live for the here and now. Live for the forever. Because Jesus is going, ultimately, ultimately, that's where we're going. That's where we're going. And so don't stake your claim and don't make this world your treasure. Make it about what you can store up in heaven where things don't decay, where things won't be destroyed, and where certainly won't anything be stolen from you. That's the perspective that Jesus said. And here's, here's what, he, what he says next. Look what he says next. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you want to know, Jesus is going, listen, this is so important. If you want to know where your heart is, if you want to know where your heart is, look at where you spend your money, look at where you spend your time. If you want to know where your heart is, because ultimately, ultimately what happens is this. Our heart should never lead, right? You've heard me say this a thousand times. Our heart should never lead. Our hearts are made to follow. And so wherever we spend our money and wherever we spend the majority of our time, that's where our hearts will be. And eventually we become emotionally attached. And eventually that's why Paul would later write, he says, hey, for the love of money, not money, not money, but for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we watch shows and movies and television news and we see things how people for the sake of money do horrendous things. True? And Jesus is going, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we're going to Allow our hearts and allow our emotions to take over. And before we know it, something, some created thing becomes our treasure. It becomes our treasure. And Jesus is going, hey, listen, don't, don't let that be your treasure. Don't make money your treasure. And that's why Paul, again, tells Timothy, he says, hey, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly, truly life. You see, for Jesus, here's, when it comes to your money, money is never the issue. Mastery is the issue. It's never, money, it's not about the money. It's Jesus is going, I don't want you to be controlled. I don't want you to be mastered by anything else. 
Certainly nothing in this world. I don't want, money is, it's not about money. It's about where you let your treasure be and there your heart will be also. And he says, I don't, I don't want you to be controlled by that because eventually it will control you. And I, I've heard stories and maybe you've been there too where you've said, man, my money is now controlling me. I'm not controlling it. It's now controlling me. And that's why Jesus said it this way. In Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. When it comes to our money, when it comes to our money, for, for, for God, he's like, I don't want it to be your master. I don't want it to control you. And so what we got to do is we got to entrust it, right? We got to entrust it. It's his anyways. It's his anyways. And the ways that we can give it back to God is by actually being rich and doing good and sharing. And, and these are the things that we can, and being generous and, 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 and taking, and, and, and again, those, those take, those are sacrifices that we have to make. But that's the reality when it comes to your money. It's, it's about mastery. Jesus said, I don't want this to control you. I don't want it to control you. Because you can't serve God and wealth. The other thing Jesus is teaching us here is, is, is money is a faith measuring tape. Mo money is a faith measuring tape. It's, how, it's, a, it's a way that which we measure that the scripture teaches about how we measure our faith. Jesus talked about money a lot. And every time we talked about money, it was, it was in relation to our faith. What, what are you trusting? What are you trusting in? Look what he says, same chapter, verse 30. You of little faith. You of little faith. And then he tells them this, and this is this. Do not worry then, saying, what are we to eat? Or what are we to drink? Or what are we to wear for clothing? Now, this day, this is what these are the things that they were worried about. They were worried about what they were going to eat, what they were going to drink, what they were going to wear. Here's, what, here's my assumption, okay? Here's my assumption. You don't worry about what you're going to eat unless it's about options. Right? Like you don't worry, it's not about like, am I gonna get a meal? It's where am I gonna get a meal? Like they were worried about, I may not get a meal today and we're going, oh, is it gonna be El George's? Is it gonna be Red Robin? Is it gonna be Outback? Is it gonna be Chili's? Is it gonna be Lulu? I'm just naming restaurants that I eat at. Um, where is it? And so they're going, they're worried about where, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? You're not worried about that. Again, it's about options. You're, you and I worry about what we're going to wear, but they were like, am I going to have clothes? I've got holes in these. I can't, you know, and they're going, you know, they're going, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, you know, put on a new pair of clothes or new, I have a new pair of shoes today to wear. But again, we, we have to remember we're rich, right? But we still worry. We still worry about things. 
So maybe for you, it's not what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. For you, it's like, you know, like, how am I going to pay this bill? Or how am I going to, you know, you know, make that investment? Or how am I going to, you know, make this, you know, this uh, grocery bill this month? Or whatever the case is. Maybe, maybe it's all, the, all of us, though, the reality is all of us have worries. We all have worries. And Jesus is saying, listen, I, I hear your worry. I hear your worry. And your worries are different than their worries. But you have some, and I have some. But Jesus is still saying to you and to me, hey, don't have little faith. Don't have little faith. And then look what he says in verse 32. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things for your, this is so important, so important, so important, if you're watching from home. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things things. Come on. He knows. He knows. He knows. He's aware. He's in tune to your life. He's not lost to what you're worried about. He knows your struggles. He knows that what you lose where where you lose sleep at night. He knows how, you know, how it's going to work out. He wonder, you know, when you wonder how it's going to work out, how it's going to work out. He knows, he knows, he knows. He's like, don't be like, and, and he, he uses Gentiles, but these were just people that weren't, weren't uh, you know, let's just say they weren't believers in, in God, right? They didn't, they didn't put their trust in God. And so he's saying, listen, those of us that do have a relationship with a heavenly father, those of us that do have a relationship with the Heavenly Father, He knows. He knows. He says, don't be like those that don't have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Don't be like them. They're the ones that are eagerly trying to seek how they're going to eat and how they're, what they're going to drink that day or what they're going to wear that day. He says, your Heavenly Father knows. And he says the, the remedy for that is this. Look what he says next. But seek first his kingdom. But seek first his righteousness. And all these things will be provided to you. He says, come on, come on. The things that you're worried about? Because money is a faith measuring tape, Right? I mean, I, I, I got my measuring tape here. Here's, when it, here's in, in God world, okay? Here's what in God world. All right, so oftentimes in church and as Jesus followers, we measure our faith based on, um, I don't know, showing up on a snowy Sunday morning, all right? All right, let's just use this as an example. Showing up on a snowy Sunday morning, you braved it out of your driveway, you, you, you navigated through those treacherous roads, you, you slid into a ditch, but yet you got out of it and you said, I'm not going home, I'm still going to church, right? You know how much faith measure that was? Sorry. You're like, boy, I wish I would've went home. I wish I would've went home. I wish I would've turned around. 
And then you came into the room, and like, you know, like barely anybody in the room, and you're like, oh, everybody else decided to stay home. And then you're like, oh, well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna sing some songs, and I'm just gonna praise it out, you know, even though I'm, you know, I'm only kind of half here, you know, and I'm gonna praise it out. You know how much faith that was? Right there. And then you're thinking, when I, as soon as I talked that I'm gonna talk, as soon as I said that I'm gonna talk about money today, you're like, boy. Am I really showing God some tremendous faith today? There you go. That's about how much faith so far. But God's going, listen, what you do with your time for others, what you do with your money, and how you are rich in good works, That's the measuring tape for faith. You see, I, when I'm, I'm not gonna worry how God's gonna provide. I just know that he is because I'm entrusting my resources to him. A song, there you go. A sermon, there you go. But being rich in good works, doing good and sharing, being generous, Jesus is going, that's a faith measuring tape. And your money and your time and your resources, that's the true measure of your faith. When you say, you know what, before I seek anything in my kingdom, before anything in my kingdom, before I invest anything in my little kingdom, I'm gonna invest and I'm gonna seek first his kingdom. Because those that don't have a relationship with the heavenly father, they seek their things. They seek for their own kingdom. And But the paradox for this is, Jesus is going, listen, I know naturally you automatically wanna think about seeking for your kingdom, but I want you to think eternally. I want you to think eternally. And the way that you can start thinking eternally is by seeking his kingdom kingdom first first and you start making investments and you start giving generously to others first and then your heavenly father who knows he he's gonna provide what you need he's gonna provide what you need it's such a paradox but jesus said and paul said to Timothy, this is how you'll find life truly, truly. So quickly, quickly, I'm done, I'm done, quickly. There's three things, three things in the, in the scripture when it comes to giving, when it comes to our generosity, okay? First thing is this, first thing is this, do it cheerful, do it cheerful. Again, listen, listen, listen. This is not an emotion. This is not an emotion. This is an action. So when we give, when we, do, when we truly are rich by giving generously, we do it cheerfully. And it's not an emotion. It's an action. By the way, when you take that action, when you take that action of giving generously, you know what happens? 
then your emotions will follow, right? Where your treasure is, your heart will follow. So you take the action, you give cheerfully, and then your emotions will follow along. It's an action. Here's what Paul said to the church in Corinth. Now I say this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows generously will also reap generously. It is this, verse seven, each one must do just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do it cheerfully. Second thing, liberal. Be liberal about it. Here's what he says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 8, 2. For I testify that, um, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Then he says this. For I testify that, that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily. So even in, the, go, can you go back, Neva, real quick? Can you go back to the, uh, verse two? Look at this. That in their great ordeal of affliction. Do you see that? In their great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy. Now, at what point when we say, in my great ordeal of affliction came an abundance of joy? Like, it's a paradox, right? He says, I have a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy, and their deep poverty. And then all of a sudden, it just doesn't make, it doesn't, it, it, our brains are connecting. It's like, wait a second, ordeal of affliction? poverty but they gave and they gave joyfully not only did they, they an abundance of joy and they gave generously he says in, and then he goes verse 3 again if you could for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability they gave voluntarily out of affliction out of poverty they gave according to their ability. You see, they knew that even in their poverty and even in their affliction, they had the ability to still do something. Still do something. That's what they did. Say, oh, wait, I can't do what this person can do. I can't give what that person can give. I can't do. Listen, listen, listen. God's going, listen, you give according to what you're able to do. But no that even they gave beyond their ability. And how were they able to do that? They just trusted God. They trusted God. They trusted God. They sought first the kingdom and they put their faith in God. And they knew that their heavenly father knew exactly what they needed. And the third thing is, do it regular. Do it regular. Us Americans, you know what we, we're good at? Americans, we're good at just seeing a need or, or hearing about a need and giving to that need. We're very good. It's, a, it's an American thing to do. We see a need, we hear about a need, and we want to give to that need. But listen, biblical giving is done on a regular basis. Whether we know about a need or not, we just do it faithfully and regularly. We do it faithfully and we do it regularly whether we know about a need or not. And we trust it to God. We, God, I trust that you're gonna take this offering 
And you're gonna use it for however you wanna use it and wherever you wanna use it for your glory and for your honor. And at the end of the day, I'm making an investment for my future, not in my retirement, but in my, in my heavenly home where I'm storing up treasures in heaven. And how that is all paid out, I have no idea. We'll find out when we get there. But you're making an eternal investment and you're doing it regularly. Where do we get that from? 1 Corinthians 16, 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed to the churches of Galatia, so that you are to do as well. And then he says this. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and to save as he may prosper so that no collection need to be made when I come. Paul's like, listen, don't wait till I get there to give. Just set it aside now. Do it regular. Cheerful, sacrificial, or liberal. Regular, regular, regular. I know you showed up today. There you go. But when you leave here, and you make a decision based on your ability to see how you can be rich in good works and how you can be generous and give, that's faith. That's a faith that God's looking for. I know there's a lot to worry about, but your heavenly father, your heavenly father knows what you need and he gives generously. He provides. He always does. Father, thank you for the day. This new year we're excited about. God, we're looking forward to what you have in store, what you want to do and how you want to work. God, we're, we're just, um, we just want to know. We, God, we just, we just, I, you just want us to know, God, that um, we can always trust you. You're always faithful. You know what we need never fail us. You never let us down. God, you want to do something for us when it relates to our money. And God, I just pray, Lord, that we know that our, it's not actually our money. It's, it's yours. Whatever we have, it came from you. And we're just going to place it back into your hands. We're going to trust you with it. You have, you, we have it to enjoy, but it's also meant to be employed. And then enhanced. And to know that we're making an investment. Not in this world where, <laughs> where things rust, where things are destroyed, where things are stolen. <laughs> we certainly know that we live in a world where control is an illusion. But when things are in your control, that's truly life. It's truly life. So I pray, God, that we trust you with it. We trust you with it. We thank you for your love and your kindness and your grace. We thank you for that you know us and you hear us. And even when we lack faith, you still encourage us. You still motivate us. You still convict us and challenge us to find what it means to put you as our treasure and nothing else. That's what we do when we give. You makes you our treasure. It seeks your kingdom first before it seeks our own kingdom first. I pray, Lord, that that's who we are as people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Happy New Year. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for watching online. 
from home. Come on back next week. It's going to be a great week. Come on back. See you Sunday. Thank you.